everybody. Um, so following on from Sophie's talk, thinking about amateur-normativity might also lead us to question something else, right? How do we know when we're in a friendship or when we're in a romantic relationship, right? How do we distinguish between those two relationships? And often you might just think, well, it's obvious, you know, I know who my friends are, I know who my romantic partners are. But sometimes we're in relationships where it's a bit complicated, right? And we don't quite know where we stand. Or we might be in a sort of towards the end of a, a romantic relationship or having been in a relationship for a long time and feel like maybe we're just friends and be kind of confused about the status of that relationship. But it's quite, and it's quite hard to kind of pinpoint what it is that's the distinguishing factor of romantic relationships in, in opposition to friendships. Right, so people, if you, if you ask them that, they often might start by saying, well, sex, right? Sex is the, the distinguishing feature. You have sex with your romantic partners, but not with your friends. Right, but that's not quite right, is it? So <laughs> some friends have sex, you know, friends with benefits, and some romantic partners don't have sex, right, for all sorts of reasons. So sex doesn't quite get us what we want. Another possible answer is that romantic love involves exclusivity and friendship doesn't. But again, that's not quite right, right? Because some romantic partners are non-exclusive. Some friendships are quite exclusive as well. If you think of best friendships, they can be very kind of exclusive. Another response you might give is that maybe romantic relationships have a certain kind of trajectory, right? They, they, they take a sort of... Um, that you start with dating and flirting and then you kind of progress along an escalator and you end up like buying a house and having kids and getting married. But again, this isn't going to get us the distinguishing feature between friendship and romantic love because not all romantic relationships take that form. So an alternative way to respond to this question of how do we distinguish between friendship and romantic relationships is just to say... Like, we don't need to, right? We don't need to answer that question because every relationship is unique. So we don't need to think about what kind of category it falls into. So this is the approach taken by relationship anarchists who argue that we don't need to have prescriptive categories um, categorising our relationships at all. So relationship anarchy is a term that was coined in 2006 by Andy Nordgren, a Swedish self-described genderqueer relationship hacker um, on an online blog. It's not an organised movement, but it's described as a philosophy of love, influenced by political anarchism. It's essentially about relating to others in a way without having power over them. And it, we might say that it has three distinctive features. So the rejection of prescriptive relationship categories, the rejection of exclusivity in relationships, and the rejection of state involvement in relationships too. So relationship anarchists would say, in, re in response to the question we started with, that we don't need to know who's our friend as opposed to our romantic partner. Indeed, they would just say that every relationship we have is individual. It's between two individual people, and therefore it's, it's unique, and it should be treated as a unique relationship not as an instance of a type, which can be kind of neatly packaged into a pre-designed prescriptive category. Instead, they, they say that we should design our own commitments and kind of design our own relationships with the people with whom we're in those relationships. 
And I also absolutely don't think that your relationship needs or should follow a kind of strict um, trajectory, um, but rather that it's just up to the people within it what kind of form and development it takes. Relationship anarchists also think that, um, well, they also reject monogamy or any kind of rules involving exclusivity in relationships. So they don't think that they should have the right to restrict another person's sexual or intimate um, relationships with other people. So they are opposed to monogamy, but they go further than polyamorists, right? So they're also opposed to any kind of polyamory which has rules. So polyamory which involves... Um, for like has rules such as not having sex with any mutual friends or that sex outside of the relationship is okay but not um, falling in love, right? Relationship anarchists reject those kind of rules. They also reject um, relationship hierarchies as well. So they try not to kind of rank their relationships in importance. So they wouldn't, for example, say that their sexual relationships are more important than their non-sexual relationships. Um, and they also reject the idea that's um, in hierarchical polyamorism of having um, primary and secondary partners. So where if, if you're in a hierarchical polyamorous relationship and you may have sort of primary partners who you prioritise and spend more time with and then secondary partners who you prioritise maybe a bit less and maybe spend a little bit less time with, um, relationship anarchists would reject that kind of arrangement as well. So relationship anarchy is... is is a very clear way of kind of dealing with amateur-normativity that Sophie talked about, right? Because it, it's a rejection of relationship categories and of kind of the ranking of relationships in, um, in terms of importance. So Luke, Sophie and I have recently written a paper about relationship anarchy um, because we, we just think it's really interesting for um, philosophers of love because it calls on us to question um, our most basic assumptions about relationships. Um, and it also provides a response to some very kind of real problems that people have in their relationships. You know, it's quite common for people to feel that they love their partner, but just to find it difficult to be in a kind of pre-described romantic relationship with them, with everything that's associated with that, living together, monogamy, and so on. So if they kind of adopted a more anarchic approach, then they'd be able to just design their relationship on their own terms. Uh, the final uh, distinctive feature of uh, relationship anarchy that I mentioned was that it imposes state involvement in relationships. So this is interesting kind of politically, calling on us to question the institution of marriage and whether we need it at all or whether it could be reformed. And also thinking about ways that um, other ways that the state is involved in our relationships and thinking about whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. So relationship anarchy is exciting, interesting, um, rich, and it gives us lots to think about. It reminds us that our relationships don't have to be packaged up in the way that they often end up being, which is often, uh, you know, causes difficulties for people. Um, but there are also some important issues with re relationship anarchy too. So for one, relationship anarchy might lead, people, might lead to people feeling insecure and anxious, right? If they don't know where they stand with people, if they don't know what's reasonable to ask of each other because they don't have norms to fall back on. So we can't help but form attachments with people and when we're attached to people, we're often vulnerable to them. 
And norms around relationships can help with this vulnerability. So, for example, the norm that romantic partners prioritise each other to an extent can give us a kind of um, sense of what's reasonable to ask of our partners and it can ease the vulnerability a little bit. Also, the idea of designing your relationships and your commitments from scratch relies on the people in the relationship being able to articulate, assert, and recognise their own needs, right? And not everybody's very good at doing that. So relationship anarchy could lead to more powerful or confident people having more say over the kind of form and structure that their relationships take. And finally, in relation to the state, it is, it is right to question sort of the role of state, the state in our relationships, but we should remember that the state involvement isn't just about restricting us, but can also offer protection. So, for example, it helps people to get their fair share of um, a couple's combined resources following divorce. So, um, so just to conclude, this is just a sort of brief introduction to relationship anarchy um, and we, we think that it's, it's interesting and important, but that it's not without its downsides. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about it in the Q&A too. So thank you very much.